Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Martin. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, We're going to continue with our series entitled Extravagant Love. Uh, It's this story uh, that we call the prodigal son. Now, to begin with, let me ask you a question, and, and I ask you this question every few years, but just to, to recharge your, your thinking a little bit, um, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, because I'm assuming it's most of us, um, have you ever dream, daydreamed about what it would be like to win the lottery? I mean, when the, when the numbers are, are huge, like what you would do with that huge windfall of cash, like the, the houses that you may buy, the, the, the new boat that you always wanted, um, the new vehicles that you wanted, the places you wanted to go, the people that you wanted to see. I, I think all of us have sat there and, and daydreamed and been consumed for a season of what it would be like if someone just dropped a windfall of cash in our laps. Well, you might be surprised to know that a large percentage of people who win the lottery actually end up bankrupt within just a matter of a couple of years. In fact, studies show that they end up in worse financial shape than before the windfall of cash came their way. In addition to to going, to going broke, Uh, Financially, they end up with uh, broken family relationships due to greed and dissension and and infighting in the family to try to position themselves to get that money. Winners have testified that in their hometowns, they've been accosted on the street, people demanding they be given money. You just won $300 million. You can spare $20,000 for me. Um, They've had to change their phone numbers. They've had to hide from people. It is not as glamorous as it sounds. I want to show you a picture. This is Jack Whitaker with his granddaughter, Brandy Bragg. Um, In the year 2002, Jack is from the state of West Virginia. Uh, He won, to to that date, the largest Powerball jackpot in history. He won $314 million. Now, upon winning, he said, well, I'm going to tithe 10% to my church uh, I'm going to start a foundation to, 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 and charitable organizations for kids. I want to help the poor and the powerless in my state that I live in West Virginia. And he did a little bit of that, but what he really did is he began to gamble a lot. He would take upwards of $100,000 with him to the casino. He began to drink more. He began to spend endless nights away from his wife in strip clubs, sometimes bringing with him an excess of $50,000 in cash. He was absolutely just squandering his wealth. Well, it ended up ruining his life, and it ruined the life of his granddaughter, Brandy. Brandy had friends at school that would hound her for money. Uh, so much so that they pulled her out of school. She was known to be the heir to her grandfather's fortune. And on December 20th, 2004, at age 17, Brandy Bragg was found dead on the property of a male friend, uh, being reported missing since December 9th. Her body was wrapped in a plastic tarp and dumped behind in a junk van. 
16 years later, no one has been arrested. Authorities assume that money was involved. See, you can read story after story about people who win the lottery, who come into this huge windfall of cash, and it literally ruins their lives. Now, this isn't confined to just lottery winners. A recent study showed that 60% of professional basketball players are bankrupt within five years of departing the league. Now, it's hard for us to feel sorry, right? If you're making $30, $40 million and you blow it all, it's kind of hard to feel sorry for that. 78% of football, professional football players experience financial distress or bankruptcy within two years of retirement. Sports Illustrated many years ago did a cover article on an Atlanta great wide receiver named Andre Ryerson. Now, you, you can, if you know who Andre Ryerson is, you've been a Falcon fan for, for quite a while. Okay, Andre Ryerson earned upwards of $20 million in his career. Every penny is gone. In fact, in the article, he said that he spent well over a million dollars on jewelry alone. He had an entourage of 40 people where he paid their way for everything. He put them on the, on the payroll. He bought them dinner. And, and when his money dried up, those friends left him in the wind. $20 million gone. I don't know about you, but if I had $20 million, I feel like I would be set for life. That's a lot of money. Well, that's a drop in the bucket compared to this next guy. Uh, Forbes magazine did an article on Allen Iverson, the great basketball player for the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. In his career, salary and endorsements, he earned over $200 million. Every last penny is gone today. In fact, he's in debt several million dollars in addition to the $200 million he burned. I mean, you just read story after story about how excessive amounts of money can absolutely ruin a person's life. Well, in the story that we've been telling, the story that Jesus has actually been telling about the prodigal son, we see the same thing. Just in case of review real quick, this, this son had a wealthy father, and he goes to his father and says, listen, I want my freedom. I know when you die, I'm going to get a large sum of money, so just go ahead and give, my, give me my money now. Essentially saying, Dad, you're better off to me dead than alive. The check clears, and he is ready to go out and grab the world by the tail. He is ready to party. He is ready to live it up. Drinks are always on him. And so where we're going to land is Luke 15. And today we're only going to look at two verses, verses 13 through 14. We've kind of did an overview of the whole story. Now we're kind of honing in on different details. So Luke 15, 13, and 14. It says, not many days later, in other words, after the inheritance came his way, after the check cleared, after everything was liquidated and he had cash, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. Stop right there. I just want you to notice that this was a planned, premeditated trip. 
He wanted to leave. He wanted his freedom. But the only way he would get it is, is if daddy died. So daddy was pretty healthy. So he goes to him and says, just give me my money now so I can go. So this is a planned, premeditated thing. It was also a permanent thing because he took all that he had with him. We continue reading. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, every last dime, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. This, these two verses here show us a very rapid progression of the younger son. He got his money, he leaves town, and he begins to systematically squander his money. And when the money was gone, so was his entourage. They left him for dead. And so in the narrative of Luke, you have some very strong words like he squandered his money in reckless living. Well, if we go down the text a little bit later, we are given insight to just how reckless he was with his money. The older brother gives us the, this insight. We looked at this last week. It's when the older brother finds out that the young brother has come home and he's not happy about it and he has this conversation with the dad. It gives us some insight to how he was spending his money. Verse 30 of Luke 15. But when this son of yours came who has, don't miss the strong language here, devoured your property with prostitutes. Notice the strong language, devoured. Devoured is a verb, and it means to eat your food or for an animal to eat its prey quickly. We're, we're not going to take our time. We are going to devour it. This is the picture we get, that the fortune that he brought with him was great, but he blew it. Very, very quickly. He was bleeding money on things that didn't last and on things that were very, very sinful. So if you go back to Luke 13, it ends by saying he squandered his property in reckless living. Alistair Begg, who is a great preacher in Ohio, says of this young man, his wandering led to squandering. He spends everything. And when you break this passage down in the original Greek language, the, the word picture for squandered there, it's a picture that's painted uh, for scattering your money in different directions. Just kind of throwing money away. So it would be, hey, dinner's on me. Bartender, around for me and my friends. Let's go to the club. I don't know if you know what this means. But we're going to make it rain. I'm just going to throw cash around. He was just dispersing his money ever. He was squandering it in different directions. Now, as long as he was paying, he was everyone's best friend, yeah? In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, the word prodigal doesn't mean lost. It has nothing to do with being lost. The word prodigal means wastefully extravagant. He was young, he was free, he was rich, and he was wastefully extravagant. This is an absolutely deadly combination. I was listening to a commentary on this passage by a man, and he was talking about how many young people live their lives like they will never get old. 
And he goes on to say, it is virtually impossible for a person in their 20s to imagine life in their 40s or 50s. I'm 49, so I'm right in there. And I can tell you, when I was 20-something, I, I didn't think anything about a mortgage, about five kids, about showing up for a job, about responsibility. I was just young and free. And he goes on to say, how many young people waste their resources because they think they will be forever young? I don't know where you were when you realized you weren't forever young. To me, it happened in my bathroom when I looked in the mirror. And I was like, who is that old man? Oh, me, right? And I, and I realized that I'm not going to be young forever. Okay, this is exactly what's happening to the young man in the story. But I want you to understand, I'm not here picking on young people because it's not just young people. This happens to people my age and people older than me. Indeed, we are a lot like the younger man. How quickly we ask God for blessings and then we run away from God after he blesses us. See, this young man is not only squandering his father's wealth, but he is actually squandering his life. He is scattering his money, and he is scattering himself in different ungodly directions. And so this is the point in the text where it begs us to stop and do some self-reflection. For you to ask yourself this question, what am I doing with my life? How am I spending my life? In the context of I'm a child of God, I'm about godly things in his kingdom, am I squandering it away? Am I wasting my life? Am I squandering my time here on earth on things that really don't matter? Am I squandering my money, my time, and my efforts? You see, I think one thing that Luke 15 is teaching us is that we have to constantly remind ourselves that life is short, that time here on earth is short, and there are an incredible amount of lost people roaming the streets of Paulding County, and we cannot ignore it. They don't know Jesus, and sometimes it feels like we don't seem to be bothered by it. We don't seem to mind it, that these people will literally die and go to hell, and we're busy binge-watching the Tiger King. We're busy taking pictures of our food. We're busy arguing politics on Facebook. And I don't, I, what I want you to know is it doesn't really matter if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, if you're a Libertarian. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you are lost. I mean, we just got to look around. People are wandering and looking for direction and just kind of squandering their lives. Enter verse 14. I think verse 14 might be the most beautiful verse in the entire passage itself. We want to focus on the father kissing him and throwing a robe around him. That is beautiful, but this to me is the most beautiful verse. It says, And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. You see, it appears the universe was against this young man. As soon as he spent his last dime, what happens? Boom, a severe famine hits the land. And so the text says, he began to be in need. Now, on the surface, we would look at that as a bad thing. Oh, no, he's in need. He's going to starve. 
he's going to die. Even though he was in need because of his own sin and pursuit of godly things, we would still have compassion and say, this is a terrible thing. He, in the, in the narrative itself, and we'll talk about this next week, he's in a pig pen feeding pigs and he wants to eat the food that he's feeding them because he's so hungry. And so we would look at this and say, this is a terrible, terrible thing. But I want to invite you to look at this from a completely different angle this morning. That term, he began to be in need. You see, to me, this is both a sad but also a glorious moment. He was in need. Yes, that's sad, but it was being in need that would eventually lead him back to his father. And when we begin to be in want... When we somehow hit rock bottom, when there seems like there's no way out, when we feel like we've squandered everything, that is a sad but also a very glorious place to be. When our world comes crashing down, when we begin to reap what we sow, when we're at the end of our rope, this is not God punishing us, this is God pursuing us. This is God allowing us to be in great need. This is him calling us home. This is God saying, hey, don't waste your life on the temporal things of the world. Come home to me. Being in need can be the best thing that ever happened to you. Hitting rock bottom in life can cause a person to wake up, to come to their senses, to redirect themselves back to their heavenly father. You see, we've bought into the lie that sin's okay, and, and, and sin is a very, very dangerous thing. It's actually a disease that, it, that infects our souls, and sin promises things. It always over-promises and, and under-delivers, and those of you who are like me, you old gray beards like me, and you've had some life experience, you realize that, that sin always promises one thing but delivers another thing, right? Sin promises freedom. This is the young man. I got my money. I don't have to live under this old man's roof anymore. I am free. But he ends up in a pig pen, right? You see, sin promises freedom, but it brings slavery. Jesus said in, in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Sin promises success, but it always brings failure. See, in the devil's economy, there's just always one more step to take. Marijuana is not enough, so let's go to ecstasy. Ecstasy is not enough, let's go to heroin. There's always, one more, there's always one more dollar to earn. There's always one more rung on the ladder to climb. You never get there. Sin promises success, but it always brings failure. Sin promises life, but 100% of the time, it brings death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. See, this young man thought that he would find himself, but he actually lost himself. And there's a teaching principle in here for us. When God is left out of our lives, our enjoyment becomes our enslavement. If God's not in the, in the equation, we are enslaved by our desires and we can't enjoy them. His enjoyment became his enslavement. Now... Here's the problem that we face in the American evangelical church. Let's just be honest, okay? I know we're in church. It's a great place to be honest, isn't it? Here's the problem we face. Even, even, and I'm not trying to step on toes here, including those of you in here who might just be playing church. 
those of you who are not here to worship God, you're just here to make yourself feel better. So at the very least, you can stand before God and say, well, here's my attendance report. The problem is, not just with society, but even those of us in the evangelical church, is many of us don't see any need for the Heavenly Father. We're fine. We're working, we're paying our bills, everybody's healthy, we're okay. We don't need anything. All the while, our sins are making us sicker and sicker. Our souls are being polluted and devoured by this infection. If you were to have some type of internal infection in your body, you can take, uh, which would cause you great pain and great discomfort, you can go down one of two avenues. Avenue one is you can just try to mask the pain. You can take painkillers, right? And so you have some infection. It's causing you great discomfort. You can take a pain pill, and it will take the pain away temporarily, but the infection's still there. It's still growing. It's still mutating. And if left unchecked, it could kill you. Or you can start taking antibiotics. Now, antibiotics don't cause a temporary euphoric state like pain pills do, do they? You don't hear anyone addicted to antibiotics. But the antibiotics is what a person needs because it goes after and it kills the infection and it can save our lives. You see, this young man was infected by sin, but he was using his father's money to dull the pain. I'm going to go to the bar tonight. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to spend the night with this person and I'm going to temporarily dull my pain. But the infection was still there. He needed the antibiotics. This story came to life to me this week. Um, I was in Tennessee, in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's my adopted city. One day I might retire there, far down the road. Um, but uh, I, I love Knoxville. And I had my youngest son with me, Deacon. And Deacon um, had been battling a mean case of swimmer's ear. Seems like it, we, we get it every, every summer. And uh, so he was on some, some little drops for swimmer's ear, um, and, but he was in an incredible amount of pain. And against my better judgment, I took him with me. Long story short, Deacon has got like a high threshold for pain. I mean, this is the son of mine who actually catches bees with his bare hands, lets them sting his hand, and then he'll let him go, right? So he, has a high, so he was in tears multiple times during the day, so I knew something was wrong. So we found ourselves... Uh, at a place that I never thought I would be, at the East Tennessee Children's Hospital. And I thought, well, we'll just go in there, they'll give him something for pain, and uh, they'll just tell him, yeah, he's got swimmer's ear, be, be a better, better parent, and give his drops more consistently, and we'll be out of there. Well, so the doctor comes in and examines him, and he's trying to talk in code not to scare Deacon, and he says, hey, uh, this, this isn't good. He said, my, my fear is that this infection has spread to the soft tissue behind his ear, um, and my ultimate fear is that it's down to his bone. And if it's down to his bone, we've got a major problem. Okay, parents, and it doesn't matter if your kids are grown, put yourself right. That is like the worst. You just, oh, I was, in, I was choking back tears. So they ran some tests, and, and praise the Lord, the infection didn't go down to his bone, but it was in his soft tissue behind his ear. And so the doctor said, hey, I, you're not going home. We're going to have to admit you. And so here we are in a foreign city, uh, and uh, he was admitted. 
they hooked an IV up to them, and the first thing they put through that IV was this, this big, giant thing of these heavy-duty antibiotics. And he was on those things for 24 hours, and it was like night and day. He, he began to feel better almost within a, a day. See, he needed the antibiotic. Until he saw the doctor, Deacon was going to get worse and worse and worse. I was pumping him full of Tylenol and ibuprofen, but that wasn't killing the infection. And friends, if you've been playing church, I just want you to know, until we see the need of Jesus, the great physician, we're never going to go to him. There is no need. We're going to spend time taking painkillers. We're going to spend time self-medicating ourselves with alcohol or drugs or food or shopping or broken relationships or conflict. We need the great physician. One of the greatest quotes I've ever heard from a preacher was a guy named Matt Chandler. He's at, in Dallas, Texas, and he said this, God does not drive an ambulance. Let me say that again. God doesn't drive an ambulance. And what he means by this is God doesn't just show up after we've made a mess and try to piece us back together. He's not trying to perform some type of triage. God doesn't drive an ambulance, but rather he is a skilled surgeon. And God will wound us like a surgeon. God will cut us and press us and allow us to experience great pain like a surgeon. God is not here to fix my mess. God is here to fix me. God is here to regenerate us, to heal our souls, to breathe life back into us. And just like surgery, it can hurt. You and I are very similar to this young man in the story. At some point in our lives, we were a mess. We were in great need. And it's in our brokenness. It's in our despair. It's when all hope seems to be gone that God can change us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's not punishment, that's love. He sent his son to die for us. What more could he do to show us he loved us? The prophet Ezekiel gives us some great insight to God, the surgeon. And I know there are several of you who practice memorization of Scripture. This would be a great verse to memorize. This is a verse I go to quite often in my life. Here's what it says. It's Ezekiel 20, or 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove heart surgery, the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. He's a very skilled surgeon. You know, this, the prodigal son is a very popular story, one of the most popular stories in the Bible. And it's very dear to me because I was a prodigal. I wasn't lost, but I was extravagantly wasteful. I was wasting my life. I was living for the moment. I was living in my sin. I was living for myself, and I was sick right down to the core of my soul. And God changed that, not by changing the circumstances around me, but by changing me. He loved me enough to turn me over to my sins, to let me be in need. He loved me enough to not fix all my messes, but rather fix me. And he can do the same for you.
I want to go to verse, uh, verse 17, and this will set us up nicely for next week, and I want to make one teaching point from here, and I'll let you out of here. Verse 17 says, remember, he's in this pig pen. When he came to himself, in other words, when he came to his senses, don't miss this. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Now, I want to point something out. When he came to his senses, he didn't focus on his badness, but rather he focused on his father's goodness. When he came to his senses, he didn't say, man, I just dropped 200 mil in three years. I just blew it all. I have caroused. I have done all these things. I am not even worthy to be called a human being. No, he didn't focus on his badness. He focused on his father's goodness. He said, my father is a good man. He's a generous man. Even his servants are well fed and taken care of. He confessed that his father was a generous man. And God is a generous Father, and He loves you beyond comprehension. And I want you to understand a biblical principle that doesn't get preached in church that we all need to understand. True repentance, true life change is never going to happen when we focus on our badness. We've got to focus on the goodness of God. The goodness of God leads to life change and repentance. I think we all know a person or people who have sat in a church and it was a turn or burn, repent or perish. You're going to spend eternity away from, you're going to burn in hell. And that scared people because they were bad and they came down, they were baptized and guess what? Two weeks later, gone. It's the goodness of God that leads to true repentance. Now, just in case you think this is a hot take or some angle, I want to show you that this is scriptural. Paul writes to the Roman church in Romans 2, verse 4, these words. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you where? To repentance. Just like the young man in the pigsty. He didn't focus on all that he had done, where he had been, who he had been with. He focused on his father's goodness. And listen, some of you are living with a defeatist attitude. You're making no traction in your walk with God because you're listening to the voice of the accuser. You're listening to the badness. You're listening to him say, I don't even know why you bother going to church. I don't even know why you bother to serve. Like, who do you think you are? We know all the things that you've done in your past. We know all the things that you're engaged in in the present and probably the things you're going to do in the future. You might as well give up. No, 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 I want to encourage you. And I'm not telling you don't work on your issues, don't fight sin, don't take up uh, your armor, but focus on the goodness of God. That's true repentance. It's not my sons loving me because they're afraid I'm going to whoop them all the time. But they love me because I'm a good father. Don't answer that. <laughs> right? And that's the same way with God. And so we've, we've been encouraging you to wear these bracelets. And every week I just want them to remind you of something. Uh, this week I, I want them to remind you 
not of your past, but of your future. That God is good. And that God knows your issues. He's seen them unfold. Put them behind you. Stop listening to the voices of negativity and hear the voice of the Heavenly Father. God is good. And we need to be reminded of that. And so this week, when you're out and about and, 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 and those voices come in to your head, oh, I'm not good enough, or I've done this, or I, no one could ever love me, remember that you are a child of God. And God is the perfect Heavenly Father. And so this week, I just want you to focus on the goodness of our Father. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.